2: Any given Saturday on the Gold Coast, that's pretty much the sounds you will hear. Sport and leisure, part and parcel of the fabric of the Gold Coast, well and truly. And that's what we're talking about today on Urban Squeeze. Dr. Tony Matthews, Associate Professor Jason Byrne, both urban planners with the School of Environment at Griffith University. Gentlemen, hello. Good afternoon, Matt. Hi, Matt. Good to have you along. Sport and leisure, are you sporty types?
1: I surf. Love surf? My surfing,
0: Tony. I keep fit. I don't play uh, team sports anymore, unfortunately. Yes,
2: but you enjoy the climate, oh, what yeah. it offers here on the Gold Coast in terms of getting out there and getting amongst it. There's nowhere Absolutely. more conducive. How important is this in in a planning context? What what role can planners play in fostering sport and leisure activities in and around a city?
1: Well, Tony, last week we were talking about the music city, right? Yeah, evidently. We I just gave of, you a little taste of that. Yeah, and it's actually not about intro. You could combine those two intros and <laughs> yeah. worked just well for the Gold Coast. That was um, my that, that was my intent. <laughs> so, you know, we kind of came to the conclusion last week that we're not really a music city, although there's a lot of revenue in that. But what we can say without a doubt is that Gold Coast is absolutely 100 percent a sports city, clearly. And it's in terms of surfing, it's one of the world's highly regarded surf cities, and it holds that mantle quite comfortably, right? Easily. Uh, So what can planning do around sport? Uh, Planning has a major role to play when it comes to designing and designating venues, uh, making sure that they're transport accessible, protecting areas for future venues. Uh, Tony, you had some ideas as well we were talking about this morning.
0: Well, we were actually discussing the idea that there's a huge dollar value in sporting infrastructure and leisure infrastructure. Jason has the figures there. What was it, $2.2 billion is it? It Yeah,
1: well, if you look at surfing, for example, it brings in $3.3 billion per annum to the Gold Coast. Employing twenty-one thousand people, which is huge. Uh, three, how, how do you measure that? Well, in what? So apparently, the average spend is one of the figures that they use. So I know you surf as well a little bit, Matt. Yeah, occasionally. yeah. Yep. So you think about it. You need wax. Um, you're going to mm. buy a new board every few years, maybe if you're lucky, <laughs> if, you're lucky. if you're allowed. There was there um, was a time <laughs> you might need a wedding for winter. Yep. Uh, you're going to be spending some money on petrol when you're cruising up and down, looking for some waves. So you start to add all that stuff up. So they're the kind of things. There that there things. The kind of things that expendables, yeah. right? As mm-hmm. well as the tourism, the attraction that the Gold Coast has. You've got people flying in from Brazil, you got people flying in from the US. Um, in fact, it's an international draw card. So you add that together and you get these kind of extraordinary numbers. Yeah, People working in surf shops all that sort of stuff.
2: And often staying here for some and time staying too, here for to, to enjoy time. it.
1: Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They're called, um, in the official lingo, they're visitor nights or visitor bed nights is the term for that. We can come back to that. It <laughs> yeah. sounds a bit dodgy, doesn't it? It does a little. Um, the Gold Coast Marathon uh, brings in apparently $24 million when it's run. Uh, it has anywhere from 28,000 participants upwards. Um, and it too brings in a large number of visitors, 80,000 visitor bed nights at roughly $250 per person as wow. an average spend. So, yeah. you know, it's big, big numbers here, man.
0: Yeah, like, so, I mean, what, what planners can do is sort of like what we talked about last week with the Music City, a good start is to have a sports plan know to have a dedicated plan for sports in your city how the infrastructure will be provided how the ovals how the pitches how the necessary things like that will be provided how the green space that's required will be um, will be found or preserved or kept from other use uh, that's very important so that gives a plan will give a strategic vision uh, for realizing sporting infrastructure delivery and sports activity over a set period of time usually mm-hmm. maybe five years um, that's one way um, not allowing sports venues to be or the zoning that applies to sports venues trying to protect that so that there's not pressure to rezone fields
1: back to residential development for example and there's always a lot of pressure around that we were talking golf courses we were talking mm. so there's a lot of pressure on the gold coast for these golf courses but the numbers might have been declining right tony it's an international yeah, I think trend g-
0: golf is sort of declining globally as far as i understand it it's it's had its heyday in terms of a, a sporting and leisure activity people simply don't have the time for it anymore to some degree it has been well, not, I wouldn't say replaced, but the rise of, uh, you know, the mammals, those middle-aged men in Lycra that cycle around in groups. They've sort of, they would traditionally have been golfers, now they're bikers. Um, there's going to be a lot of sheds with golf
2: clubs up the back covered in dust with a bike just in front of the golf clubs, also covered in dust. Uh, yes, it, you can sort of see how these things evolve. But uh, yeah, you know, there's no doubt about that.
0: So when, when you know, when, when, when demand for something like golf goes down, then pressure comes on that land for other use, for development uses or whatever. There was some
2: talk, uh, one of the Palmer um, properties, its name escapes me now, he's got the the one at uh, Rabina Woods uh, and then Colonial as well. There was some talk of uh, developing around the perimeter of that, turning an 18 layout into a nine-hole layout. Uh, Clive uh, Palmer, um, the, the former politician. Business mining Entrepreneur. Man, yeah, former, uh, former billionaire. Yes, yes, former billionaire. Uh, Call him what you will. But there, there was a discussion about that some time right. ago, and there was a, the mm-hmm. golf
1: course in surfers out the, out the back of surfers where I was talking about these kinds of things as well, redeveloping it. But once you lose these areas, it's a lot like, not like other things in the city. Once you lose them, they're gone, they're gone. and you can't recover them. Mm-hmm. And I
0: think it's, really impre- it's particularly important, in my opinion, to preserve them and safeguard them at the neighbourhood level, so the, the local um, footy pitch or oval or whatever that's in the neighbourhood rather than out on the outskirts of town. Yes, I yes. think that's really because that, those places become a, a focal point for community gathering and for, for, for um, social life and neighborhood activity and, and all of that sort of capital that comes from them. So if, if they're lost in an apartment block or something goes in in their place or a hotel, you lose that social capital as well. So to my mind, they're the principal cause for concern. Preserve those first and foremost, the neighborhood level stuff.
2: Yeah, I guess too, creating that environment where sport is an integral part or a fundamental part of the community at a social and a a Geographic level, if you like, uh, adds to the appeal of a destination as an event, a sporting event uh, type of place as well. We've got the climate here, it's relatively flat, that kind of helps as well. Uh, and uh, and and so, you know, part of the attraction of this is a venue for the Commonwealth Games, those things all feed into it as well. Um, does that have something to do with it? Long winded question.
1: It but, does, yeah, it yeah. does. And then there's also things like um so I swim as well just to keep fit when the waves are not around. Pizzy Park down in Miami has fostered a whole range of Olympics athletes, right? Mm. So there's there's an investment in young generations if you look after these facilities, and they're they're going to be the future sports people of Australia, the future sporting heroes. If we lose that, we're in some trouble.
0: Oh, I think so. I'm not sure that we're – I mean, we're in danger of losing the infrastructure perhaps, but I don't think we're in danger of losing the social psychology towards sports. I mean, this is a sports-mad country. People wouldn't stand for – um, mm. For a decline in sporting participation and they definitely would stand for a decline in, in sporting success at the international level. Um, so there's always going to be a, a very strong, keen desire for sporting infrastructure and for sports and leisure activity in Australia, and particularly in a place like the Gold Coast, because you really do have the best of everything. It's flat, as you point out. You're coastal. You have the tropical hinterland where you can do all kinds of things like mountain biking. Um, you have a very good climate, so it's sort of year-round potential for sports. Uh, you have an international airport. You you have big stadiums. You have small-scale sporting infrastructure. You have state centres of excellence. This is... When Jason said the Gold Coast is a sports city, he wasn't joking. By really any is. marker, it is. It absolutely is. I don't think you'd get
2: too many arguments there. Uh, we are also going to be on the international stage uh, year after next. Of course, the Commonwealth Games. Massive event. The biggest that South East Queensland's seen in a long, long time, if ever. Uh, how... Valuable are these kinds of events to a city? Really,
1: it's, it's a challenge to put the numbers on them. So, Tony, we're looking at this before. If you look at the official um, data from the Gold Coast City Council, they suggest it's going to be a two billion dollar economic injection to the economy. But then Tony was saying to me, well, it's going to cost him about $2 billion to put it on as well, right? Yeah. So are we going to break even or will we make a profit? On- yeah.
0: The, the figures are interesting because, as Jason says, it's going to cost $2 billion and they reckon it's going to generate $2 billion. Um How that $2 billion is being covered, there's um, – let me see this. They reckon operating revenue will be 239 million, contributions of 115 million from the city of Gold Coast itself, 156 million from the federal government. Uh, There's somewhere between 30 and 50 million was what they got for the television rights, the free-to-air TV rights when they sold them to the Seven Network. Couldn't get the exact figures, but it was less than 50 and more than 30. Uh, So the net cost of the Queensland government is actually about $1.5 billion. Eek.
1: Which is a huge
0: amount of money. And in a sense... the what you're doing with a large sports event like this is you're pitting international recognition and prestige, i.e. marketing of Gold Coast City against a massive expenditure of cash, which could arguably be used for other things like health or education. Of course. So yeah. it's a bit of a gamble and you see different results in different parts of the world. Some cities that put on large events like the Com Games or the Olympics walk away smiling. Many don't. Many are left with a legacy debt, right. uh, infrastructure that's not used, a vision that's not realised, and a huge cost to the public purse.
2: Legacy is a word that pops up. The urban squeeze this afternoon, talking about the, uh, the benefits, the value uh, of sport and leisure to the city, particularly the city of the Gold Coast. Uh, I've got Dr. Tony Matthews with me, also Associate Professor Jason Byrne from Griffith University. They're urban planners. Um, the, the winning part of it and and this idea of legacy you talk about legacy debt Uh, a lot of the talk now as we see the buildings pop up is having legacy infrastructure stuff that's not just used once and then falls into disrepair Um, this is where the planning part comes into it and this is what is intriguing to me how do you maximize the efficiency of these kinds of pieces of the infrastructure
1: puzzle yeah so we were trying to pull these numbers again Matt to to give us a better picture. So uh, according to council, they say it's going to create about 30,000 full-time equivalent jobs and uh, bring a major tourism boost of 100,000 plus visitors. So that's during the Games period, but there'll be a legacy of people seeing this on TV and presumably wanting to come to the coast. If we look at Sydney, um, again, the numbers are a bit rubbery, but they were estimating somewhere between 5.6 billion and and 7 billion dollars of benefits coming out of the olympics. Um they landed up about 2.1 billion dollars down in in debt. So they didn't they didn't make a profit out of it, but some of the numbers later on are suggesting that there've been 12,000 permanent jobs created by that infrastructure. So over yeah. time that'll begin to pay back. If we look at the gold coast they're actually doing things very intelligently right they're learning from these lessons they've been talking to these other cities and thinking about some of these problems so the athletes village is being designed not just as an athlete's village that would presumably be a problem later but there are petitions in these uh, these apartments false petitions and they'll be able to uh, accommodate athletes either side of the of the petition after the games is finished they pull down this temporary petition and they sell the apartment so you get a nice two or three bedroom apartment that's a transit-oriented development, right, Tony? So it's right next to the so railway line. It's a
2: transit-oriented, so yeah, okay. Proximity yep. to be public. Yeah, proximity to yeah. Transit. Because
0: we've, you know, this is all happening in the Health and Knowledge Precinct. So you, you know, this we've talked about this idea of co-location before, and the advantages, the kind of synergy that comes from that. Um, so you've, you've got the hospital, you've got the university, you've got the light rail connection. Now you've got phase two of the light rail connection going to connect up to the heavy rail. Uh, now what's going in there is major sporting infrastructure and residential development. So it's actually creating a really nice community, uh, a really nice space, a very functional space where lots of different things are happening. So I think that's, Jason's right, that's a really smart way to plan for the Com Games on, on, on the Gold Coast, as distinct from what some other cities have done with large sporting events where they've built new infrastructure on the edge of town and, and, and never really realised it in any meaningful sense. I, I will say one of the things that, concerns me a little about the COM games is the transport side uh, wonderful that the light rail is there that's going to be a huge success i think uh, a lot of people are going to enjoy taking that uh,
1: provided it, it holds up on time right because that link from the heavy rail to the light rail you add on those times it's going to take a long time especially people coming from. it Lisbon, is going right. to take
0: a long time and there's you know glasgow had the last commonwealth games in, in and and they had 500 buses moving people around to and from events and they borrowed those buses from bus operators in different cities around Britain. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen here, but that gives you some idea of the scale scale
2: of of the number
0: of people that you're going to have moving around. Now, if that level of public transport is not available on the Gold Coast or the public transport that is available um, is at capacity, you're then going to be left with a lot of people in cars. So that creates two problems. One is road traffic and the other is parking. Where are they all going to go? Um, And particularly if they're on the M1, <laughs> Which you have to do, Tony, every week. I regularly drive. Um... There, I, I think there's not unreasonable concern that, for example, people who are travelling down to the Commonwealth Games events from Brisbane may miss start times, turn up late and I include athletes in that. Some athletes will stay in Brisbane. Not all, but some. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a great deal of anxiety and concern and a fight broke out, if you remember, a few weeks ago that we talked about between the federal government and the state government about attending to the bottlenecks on the M1 where the gateway joins or leaves it. It's, it's, that's been a
2: feud ever since I've been sitting in this chair, it's fair to say. <laughs> Jason Byrne and uh, Dr Tony Mac- Matthew's with me from the School of Environment at Griffith Uni. Join me this time every week talking about sport and leisure and how it can make a city great, essentially. Um, We've spoken about the Gold Coast at a grassroots level. We've spoken about it uh, in terms of creating a legacy from events uh, that exist and what we're looking forward to with the Commonwealth Games. What examples can we draw on from overseas, cities that are distinctively sporting cities we have that opportunity to really be a world leader here we've talked about that too climate location all the bits and pieces are generally there
1: but where can we look to for best practice examples sure well I, you know i think we can start at home a little bit after having poured a bit of cold water on sydney uh, <laughs> they actually achieved some good things out of their olympics still so they created 430 hectares of parkland around that olympic site which is amazing 40 kilometers of cycle paths and they put in new state-of-the-art water recycling infrastructure that enables them to save 850 million liters of water per year that's a lot which of water is a lot of water right? mm. so that's a job well done overseas uh, barcelona did an amazing job and they've left a legacy through their sporting events and that that's worked incredibly well. Which was Barcelona
2: 92 Olympics, I yeah, think. Yeah, I think yeah, was cause,
1: yeah Barcelona time. was 92, Atlanta was 96. Yeah, it was
2: like a high point and a low point. Right. One after the other, yeah. And
1: Barcelona did exceptionally well. So their, their legacy infrastructure, the sporting stadiums that they put in, were sited well, very heavily patronised now, used for a lot of national events still, generating lots of jobs. They also did a lot of... Uh, inner city brownfield redevelopment. So there were some sites that were former industrial sites, but they cleaned up those sites and they used them to develop uh, housing apartments and uh, green space around around those sites. And they've done exceptionally well.
0: Yeah, similar in London, uh, the 2012... Olympic Games, where they used the um, the games as a mechanism or a vehicle to regenerate the entire Lower Lee Valley, Lower Lee Valley, which was a part of London that was in serious need of some attention. So right. they, they very cleverly used the games as a way to regenerate a, a whole section of the city, and not just not just physically, but also socially and economically. And they moved a lot of people in there. It created a lot of work. There were thirty thousand out of work Londoners who were hired to work on uh, the Olympic Games. So it wasn't that people that were already working were just. Switch jobs, it was n- new employment came out of it, and much of it, some of it, continued on afterwards. So yeah, new that, training, yeah, so they picked yeah. up new skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yeah. it's
1: kind of soft infrastructure in in and in that soft social capital we were talking about before, right?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I, I think if, you, if you're clever about it and you try and not just host the event, but use the event as a, a, a lever for some wider urban regeneration, whether of physical space or of the urban economy and employment and things like that. That's really the way to go. If you just build stuff in the middle of nowhere um, and, for example, Athens has been to some degree accused of doing that and... (laughs)
1: No good? No, you look at Athens at the, some of those stadiums and facilities, they're falling apart. They've right. been abandoned. Already? Yeah, yeah, they've been abandoned. They're just full of weeds and completely rusting and decaying. Well,
2: economics a, has obviously had something to partly, do with it. Partly, but it was
1: also location. I built them in the wrong spot. They weren't integrated into the heart of the city. They didn't line them up next to the existing transport infrastructure for example they didn't think like the gold coast has done how these things might be able to be adaptively reused later on for housing yeah. for example yeah. so that was a bit yeah. of a nightmare athens
2: they needed you guys there bit of urban planning
1: we're available for <laughs>
2: <laughs> i'm sure you are we're out of time guys but thank you so much for dropping in again always good to chat always a pleasure Max. Matt. matt thanks associate professor jason Byrne, dr tony matthews from griffith uni urban squeeze same time every week